0: Hi, I'm Shane Robertson and welcome to the Maysville Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. Here at Maysville, we want to practice loving God, loving others, and serving the world. I trust this sermon will be an encouragement to you as it challenges your heart and strengthens your walk of faith. Now, grab your Bibles as we get ready to hear from the Word of God. Have your Bibles this morning. Let me encourage you to find Acts chapter number eight. Acts chapter eight. I want to once again thank Chris and my staff for uh, taking care of everything while we were gone. We had a great time visiting with Alyssa and Ryan. I deeply love my son-in-law and my daughter, and I'm so proud of them as they are there teaching and uh, being a witness for Jesus Christ. I'm so grateful for the influence that my son-in-law is having in the West Philadelphia school system by trying to teach and and teaching those children there. Uh, When you think about my family, I hope you'll say a little prayer for them uh, as they are are missionaries uh, over in that way. God's called them uh, there, and they're doing everything they can to be a witness for Christ. In Acts chapter number 8, we're going to pick up where we left off in verse number 5. We were just seeing the introduction of Saul, who was consenting to the death of Stephen. Stephen was persecuted greatly, even unto death. And through his death, the Bible says he saw Jesus standing to receive him. As he died, the Bible says that Saul was so angry at Christianity... Wanting to snuff it out. The Bible uses this term. That he did havoc in the body of believers. He was like a bull in a china shop. He literally would enter into homes. And he would grab folks by the hair of their head. And he would drag them out taking them to prison. Their crime was believing that Jesus Christ was the Messiah. And we find that in our culture today, there is a growing hostility towards born-again Christians. May we look at Stephen and the boldness that he had. And may we too say, God, give me that same boldness. That if I live and persecution gets real, where they're dragging us out by the hair of our heads and sending us to prison... May we stay faithful to our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Because what we see here is because of the faithfulness of born-again children of God, we see the church moving from this area of persecution into this great area of proclamation. They begin to share and proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ. And one of the ones that rise up to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ is a man by the name of Philip. And here we find that as this word, the word of God, was spreading throughout Samaria, Philip, the Bible says in verse number 5, went down into the city and he preached Christ unto them. And the multitudes were with one accord, heeded the things spoken by Philip, hearing and seeing the miracles which he did, for unclean spirits, crying with a loud voice, came out of many who were possessed. And many who were paralyzed and lame were healed. And there was great joy in that city. I'm telling you, when a, when a true city experiences revival, there is a joy that has to be mentioned. Number nine. But there was a certain man called Simon. Simon who previously practiced sorcery in the city and astonished the people of Samaria, claiming that he was someone great, to whom they all gave heed from the least to the greatest, saying, This man is the great power of God. And they heeded him because he astonished them with his sorceries for a long time. But when they believed Philip as he preached the things concerning the kingdom of God, And the name of Jesus Christ. Both men and women were baptized. Then Simon himself also believed. And when he was baptized, he continued with Philip. And was amazed seeing the miracles and signs which were done. Now when the apostles who were at Jerusalem heard that that Samaria had received the word of God. They sent Peter and John to them. Who when they had come down prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit. For as yet... He had fallen upon none of them. They had only been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then they laid hands on them, and they received the Holy Spirit. And when Simon saw that through the laying on of the apostles' hands, the Holy Spirit was given, he offered them money, saying, Give me this power also, that anyone on whom I lay my hands on, they receive the Holy Spirit. But Peter said unto him, Your money will perish with you because you thought the gift of God could be purchased with money. You have neither part nor portion in this matter for your heart is not right in the sight of God. Repent therefore of this your wickedness and pray God if perhaps the thought of your heart may be forgiven of you. For I see that you were poisoned by bitterness and bound by iniquity. Then Simon answered and said, pray to the Lord for me. That none of these things which you have spoken may come upon me. So when they had testified, notice he didn't say pray. When they testified and preached the word of the Lord, they returned to Jerusalem, preaching the gospel in many villages of the Samaritans. May the Lord add a blessing to the reading of his word. My kids are uh, absolutely amazed by this new uh, app game that's out there and it's called Among Us. It's all about uh, imposters. It's a present day clue game only you play it on your phone and not around the table. And so they're playing this game and and you want to be the imposter because if you're the imposter, you have to fool everybody and the imposter ends up winning. And you play with 10 or 11 people. And they vote these people off of the boat. They're on this boat and you get voted off uh, because they think you're the imposter. So the imposter's got to be a good liar. Uh, my daughter Holly is very excited that she's won several games. <laughs> you know, Christianity is no stranger to imposters. From the beginning of the first church, we see that several imposters have already been presented Judas, Ananias, Sapphira. And now we come to this man by the name of Simon, who, in essence, when we look at Scripture, see that he truly is an imposter. When you read this narrative, it can clearly be divided into two separate categories. This morning, I want to give you these two categories, and I want you to look at them, and I hope it'll be an encouragement to you, and I hope it'll challenge you in your walk with Jesus Christ. Number one, the first thing I want you to see is found in verses 5 through 8. In verses 5 through 8, I want you to notice a biblical evangelist. A biblical evangelist. In the Bible, the Bible talks about evangelism very plainly. We, as born again children of God, have the great commission placed upon us. Remember, this wonderful book of Acts is the fulfillment of Acts chapter 1, verse 8. We're watching it unfold right before our very eyes. And so, when we're watching this happen, we see all of a sudden a biblical evangelist rise up to the occasion. After Stephen is stoned and put to to death, we find Philip rising up. And Philip is coming up. And as he's coming up, we see three things about Philip. Number one, the first thing we see is the man. We see the man. Look at what the Bible says in verse number five. The Bible says, then Philip went down to the city of Samaria. Now, I hope you got your pen, pencil, lipstick, or mascara, because I'd love for you to underline the word Philip. Why? Well, because there's two Philips in the Bible, and you need to know which Philip this is talking about. You see, there's one Philip in the Bible who was an apostle. He was commissioned by the apostles in Matthew chapter 10 and verse 3, and seen in just about every account of the gospel. He's mentioned probably most frequently in the gospel of John. But we also see him pick up on the pages of the book of Acts in Acts chapter 1 and verse 13. It's very important to understand that this Philip is not uh, the Philip of Acts chapter 8. This is a separate Philip. The Philip in Acts chapter 8 is Philip the evangelist. You say, well, where did he come from? Well, when you look at Scripture, you see he was one of the seven that was chosen to have this administrative responsibilities in Acts chapter 6. Really, Philip was just a regular, average church member. He would come to church every week. He sat every week. He he would listen to the preacher preach. And he would want to take what the preacher said and and implement it in his life. Remember, the Word of God had not been completed yet. So there was no expounding the Scriptures. The expounding of the Scriptures came that the Scriptures were spoken through the prophets, through the the, uh, uh, apostles, if you would. And as the apostles spoke, they were speaking the Word of God as they were preaching. And so, as they were preaching, uh, we find Philip was moved to the Holy Spirit. He got saved so much so that as he became, continued to grow in his faith, they needed some help with the Hellenistic Jews. And so they picked out seven men full of the Holy Ghost and full of honest report. And Philip was one of those guys. And Philip stepped forward and said, I'm just available. That's all I am. I'm coming with open hands. It wasn't that he was uh, equipped, so to speak, in the fact that he was more available than he was anything. And so they gave him the task, your job is to serve the Hellenistic Jewish Christian women Uh, Their daily food, make sure that they're taken care of, make sure everything's all right. As he grew in that ministry, which takes place very quickly from Acts chapter 6 to Acts chapter 8, we find him now proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's fascinating to me because the Bible tells us that in Acts chapter 21 in verse 8, it actually labels Philip as an evangelist. Here is a biblical example of what an evangelist truly looks like. Now, don't get me wrong. I'm so grateful for the evangelists that we have come to our church and preach revivals. Man, I, I, I am so thankful for them. I, I, I think that's wonderful. And I'm glad and I thank God that evangelism is still going on. Unfortunately, it's not like it used to be. How many of you remember when you used to have a seven-day revival or longer? Raise your hand. Look at that. You can put them down. Uh, Now, no more seven-day revivals. Now, revivals just go from Sunday to Wednesday. And as a matter of fact, that is through the corona has been completely wiped out. And now it's just Sunday's. I'm going to tell you what we need. We need a good dose of Jesus and have a real spiritual awakening where God shows up in such a mighty way that we just carry the service over and over and over and over and over and watch God do great and mighty and wonderful works. But I'm going to tell you what it would take. It's going to take a move of God for something like that to happen. Here's a man that was used by God to see the community change. His name was Philip, and in Acts chapter uh, 21, verse 8, He's called the evangelist. The only time you see a name attached to the word evangelist. Now evangelism is used in the scripture many times. And the term evangelist is used twice in the Bible. But only once is it given to a man. A man by the name of Philip. Philip the evangelist. But I want you to notice where Philip's, where he's preaching at. The Bible says that Philip went down to Samaria. Why is that important? Remember what the Jews thought of the Samaritans. They thought they were dogs. Where did that come from? What happened in regards to this? Why did they feel so hostile towards the Samaritans? You remember when Jesus was at the woman of the well, uh, the lady at the woman at the well says, Why are you talking to me? Jews don't have anything to do with Samaritans. The reason why was because when the Assyrians conquered Samaria, they carried most of the people off into captivity. And as they carried the inhabitants off in exile several other different nationalities came into Samaria. There was a small pool of Jews that were left in this region. And through these small pool of of Jews, they began to intermarry. And through this intermarrying, they developed uh, a new, if you would, category. And this new category that came about was half Jew and half Gentile. And so to be half Jew and half Gentile was to be fully Gentile. And the Jews didn't like the Gentiles either. And so they despised the Samaritans because the Samaritans had intermingled. So much so that the the Samaritans got mad and said, well, you know what? We're going to make our own temple. And so they made their own temple, and they worshipped at their own temple. So you had the Samaritan temple that was worshipped, and then you had the regular Jewish temple that was worshipped at, and then you had all these other false temples where individuals were worshipping at. But there was only one temple where the veil was ripped from the top to the bottom. And that was the, the Jewish, where Jesus entered into the Holy of Holies and said, no more, you can come to Jesus Christ personally all by yourself. And so we find here in the text that as these Samaritans are, have their own place of worship, they're at war with the Jews, and the Jews are at war with the Samaritans. And they don't like it because they think that they are half-bred, and they also think that they are half-religious. And so they say, we don't have anything to do with these Samaritans. They're dogs. They are half-breeds. And this carried over and over and over and over and over until they found themselves right here in this particular moment in time in Samaria. They didn't want to have anything to do with the Samaritans. And now here is Philip preaching and they're getting saved. I want you to notice the second thing about this. Not only do I want you to see the man, but I want you to see the message in verse 5. Did you see what the message was? Look at what the scripture says. The Bible says, then Philip went down into the city of Samaria and preached Christ to them. Now, I would underline that word preached. Why? Well, because when you look at the text in verse number 4, you see the Bible says those that were scattered were everywhere preaching the word. You see that? There's another word "preach." I would underline that. These are two different words. The first word preaching where the people were going out and they were scattered about, that, that word preaching has to deal with just Saying that I got saved. I got saved. I got saved. I received Jesus Christ as my personal Savior and Lord. It is an affirmation of something that's happened inside your heart. That's not what Philip was doing. The Bible says Philip preached Christ to them. The word preached means proclamation. It's what I'm doing right now to project my voice out in such a way that the hearer might receive it with enthusiasm. That they might say, man, that preacher's loud. Or, man, he's got something to say. Man, you can't shut him up. I wonder, could he really say something in three minutes and be done with it? And the answer is, no, no preacher can do that. And so we find here that he's preaching to them, but he's preaching specifically a message. The Bible says he preached Christ to them. Jesus Christ, born of a virgin, living a sinless life, going to Calvary, taking your sins and placing them upon himself and dying in our place. He preached Christ to them. The death, the burial, and he didn't leave out the resurrection. He preached the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And the scripture says that through this message, the Bible tells us not only was the message about Christ, but there's a third thing we see, and that is the movement found in verses 6 through 8. The Bible says in verse 6, And the multitudes with one accord heeded the things spoken by Philip. The word heeded means they fell under conviction. And they said, We know this is true. You see, in the Bible, when the Bible says that those that were in the early church were scattered there in verse number 4, you see that word scattered? That word scattered there means there's two words in the Bible that talk about scattering. It's used in two different ways. Number one, it means to scatter and dissipate like a vapor. To scatter and dissipate like a vapor. And the second term is to scatter, to broadcast out for planting. And here in this passage of Scripture, it is the term that means to be scattered out, to go out, and to be planted into the ground. So what's happening here is these Christians are being planted. They're being planted right there in Samaria as they're hearing the things spoken by Philip, as they're seeing the miracles which he did. And they're watching these unclean spirits come out, and they're crying out with a loud voice, and there came out many that were possessed, and many that were paralyzed, and many that were lame. They were healed. This is a visual that the sin which had them bound had now been released and there was life again in each and every person. And the Bible says there was great joy that filled that city. If we want joy in our nation today, if we want joy in our city today, joy always equals Jesus. What we need today more than anything is Jesus We need Jesus to come into the hearts and lives of people across our land today and save us from the worst sickness of all, and that's the sickness of sin. The Bible tells us here that there was great joy in that city because multitudes of people, Samaritans, the worst of the worst, got saved. All because a biblical evangelist was obedient to the Word of God. Now, what's the application for us today? How can we take this and apply it to us today? Just simply this. Remember, Philip was just an average church member. He was just a nobody who wanted to tell everybody about somebody named Jesus. You might think that, you know what? I'm a nobody. What can I do? Is there anything I can do? It wasn't that Philip had these great resources; it was that Philip was available. He made himself available to the work of the Holy Spirit of God. Could I ask you a question, brother and sister in Jesus Christ? Are you available to the Lord? So I, I just don't know if I I, I just not know if I'm going to full time ministry. I'm not talking about going into full time ministry. I'm talking about going into full-time Christianity. I'm talking about being Jesus to a lost and dying world. Being Christ to our community. I'm talking about living on your convictions. Living out your faith. It doesn't take much to be different today. You just live on your convictions. You just follow what the Word of God says. You just believe what the Bible says. You just hold truth to what the Word of God says and you'll be different. But I'm talking about the difference that makes that more than the difference maker more than anything is Jesus living inside of me. Because you could follow this all day long in your head, but unless you got it right in your heart, it won't mean anything. So, what do you mean, Pastor? Well, let me show you the second thing. Not only do you see a biblical evangelist, but there's a second person you see here. You see a believing counterfeit. In verses verses 9 through 25, we see a man by the name of Simon show up on the scene. Simon is no doubt a believing counterfeit. He believes Jesus in his head, but he's got a real problem in his heart. When you read this text in verses 9 through 25, there are three things that are worth pointing out in the text. Number one, the first thing I want you to see is the outward evidence of this believing counterfeit. There is some outward evidence that a counterfeit has that we must acknowledge and recognize and see that it's biblically true. Number one, the first outward evidence is a belief system. Notice what the Bible says. The Bible tells us here in the text, beginning in verse number nine, but there was a certain man called Simon who had previously practiced sorcery in the city and astonished the people of Samaria, claiming that he was someone great, to whom they all gave heed from the last to the greatest, saying, This man is the great power of God. And they heeded him because he had astonished them with his sorceries. For a long time. Now, we have seen this word sorcery pop up now several times. What in the world does that mean? It means that he was a magician. It means that he did not possess the power of the Holy Spirit in his life, but he possessed some trickery. He was the David Blaine of Samaria. Here was a man who knew how to manipulate people. He knew how to speak to people in such a way, to manipulate them in such a fashion, to believe that he was doing something great when really all he was doing was tricking them. And the Bible says that he'd been doing this for a long time. But the Bible says in verse number 12, But when they, talking about the Samaritans, believed Philip as he preached the things concerning the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ, both men and women were baptized. They quit listening to the sorcerer and turned their attention to uh, Philip. As he spoke about the Savior, they gave their lives to Jesus and they said, we want to be baptized. So much so that Simon himself had to pay attention. And the Bible says that he believed. You see it there? I would underline that word believe. That word believe there means to have a head knowledge of a truth. He says, this makes sense. Jesus being born of a virgin, that makes sense. That's in that Hebrew scriptures that they're always talking about. Jesus living a sinless life, that makes sense if he was the son of God. Jesus going to Calvary and dying on the cross, that makes sense because I remember seeing that. I watched him die, heard about his death, was there uh, thinking about uh, this issue of the death of Christ. It was news all over the land. We know that he was buried, and on the third day he rose again, and many people saw the resurrected body of Jesus Christ. Logically, this is accurate. I believe what Philip is saying, and the Bible says that he continued with Philip and was amazed, seeing the miracles and signs which were done. Now, I want you to contrast uh, verse number 13 with what the Bible says happened in the city in verse number seven. In verse number seven, the scripture tells excuse me, verse number eight, the scriptures tells us the city rejoiced when they got saved, but we find when Simon believed, he was amazed, not at the change that came over in his life, but he was amazed at the miracles and the signs which were done. He believed, but he only believed in his head. But watch this. He even took it a step further. We're talking about external evidences or outward evidences of a believing counterfeit. He says, that makes sense. I'm seeing and amazed by these things. I think I'm going to be baptized. And so he surrenders for baptism. Look at what the scripture says. The Bible tells us in the text. And when he was baptized. Now, the word baptize means to go under, to go under, to be submerged, to be underwater, and then to come back up. It doesn't mean to dip repeatedly. Now, some people say, well, this term comes from that term. Yes, there are two different terms in regards to baptism. There's one that does mean to dip, and they would do this in regards to grapes and fruits. They would dip that in the water to clean them. But they came up with baptismo to submerge. And to hold. And whenever you see the term baptized, it is baptizo. And it means to go under, to stay under, and to come up. If he wanted to use the word dip, he would have used a completely different word. And so he says here that they baptized him. And as he baptized, they baptized him, he was continually amazed at the signs and wonders of Philip. So we notice here that there are two evidences of an outward counterfeit. There's this outward counterfeitness about this individual. He was in church, he heard the gospel, he believed, and he was baptized. Billy Graham said the church is no longer a force for evangelism. It is now a field of evangelism because people are only believing in their head, and they're being baptized, and they're still dying and going to hell because there's no change in their life. We see the outward evidence. And then in verse 14 something happens that shifts the narrative. And if you don't handle this particular passage of Scripture properly and contextually, remember the Bible interprets itself, then you will be more enamored by what's going on in verses 14 through 17, and you'll miss the whole narrative and what it means. As a matter of fact, people have honed in on verses 14 through 17 and created this whole other teaching not keeping the passage in its context, not clearly understanding why it was in it and the reason why it happened. We see this unifying explanation that comes from the Scriptures to help show us why exactly this happened. Notice what the Bible says. The Scripture says in verse number 14, Now, when the apostles who were at Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God, They sent Peter and John to them. Brothers and sisters, of all the people in the world to send down there, to send John down there, oh my goodness. John did not like the Samaritans at all. He spoke against them. He said, they're awful. They're terrible. They're mean. They're ugly. And they smell funny too. (laughs) you know anybody in your life like that? But what was the deciding factor to get John down there? He heard that they got saved. So Peter and John go down, these apostles go down to see if this was true. The Bible says in verse number 15, Who when they had come down, they prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit. So wait a minute preacher, I thought that when you prayed to receive Christ... You've got the Holy Spirit right then. You do. That's what the Bible says in 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Turn over if you would there. Let's look at it. This is a very, very important doctrine because the Scripture teaches there's only one anointing. When you get the Lord Jesus, when you pray to receive Christ, at one time, He's in there. But there are many fillings. And when do we get saved? When do we receive the Holy Spirit? We receive the Holy Spirit at salvation. When we pray to receive Jesus Christ as our personal Savior and Lord. 1 Corinthians chapter number 12, beginning in verse number 13, the Bible, well, let's just begin in verse 12 just for context. The Bible says, For as the body is one and has many members, but all the members of that one body, being many, are one body, so also is Christ. For by one Spirit, We were all baptized into one body, whether Jew or Greek, whether slave or free. We have all been made to drink into one spirit. So we have this one baptism when we get saved. That's when we're baptized in the spirit. Well, then why did that not happen here? Two reasons. Number one, unity. Unity. There needed to be a cohesive unifying factor that would bring all these individuals and in these different nationalities under one gospel of Jesus Christ. And so the Bible says that Peter and John came down, and John, in particular, in noticing what was happening here could give credence and evidence to the fact that these Samaritans, these half-breed, these half-Jew and half-Gentile, these individuals truly received Jesus Christ, just like the Hellenistic Jews received Jesus Christ. It is true, they truly are Jesus Christ's children. And that unified everybody and brought everybody under one gospel. In bringing everybody under one gospel, the Spirit of God was given to them when they laid on of hands. Remember, the Word of God has not been completed yet. This particular moment in time is a transitionary a transitionary time. You've got the old covenant that's being done away with and the new covenant that is now in place. And Peter, John, and all the apostles have been given this very special ability, if you would, these special gifts to come and do these special things in this transitionary time until the Word of God is finally complete. And so when remembering that the book of Acts is a history And it is a transitionary history in that it's so vitally important to know that the Samaritan's manner of receiving the Spirit should be taken for what it is, an accurate account of what happened in their case in that moment in time, in that transitionary period. And when the Word of God is complete, the Bible tells us repeatedly in Scripture that the Spirit dwells in us at the moment of salvation. The second note that we should have here is not only unity, but also authority. There had to be some pastorally authority here because the Samaritans had already gotten mad at the Jews and already created a temple. There are no more temples. Our bodies are now the temples. And we unite as a church body as we all come together. But in coming together, it cannot be a free-for-all. There has to be a structure. And that structure that we find in Scripture has been given to the apostles. If I could say three things in particular about this, it would be this. Number one, remember, Jesus had given Peter the keys to the kingdom. Matthew chapter 16, verse 19. That is, Jesus is the key, and it was given to Peter, and now Peter holds the key in such a way that people groups are going to come to know Jesus Christ as their personal Savior and Lord. Jews, Gentiles, and many other people groups. Remember, it was Peter that was present, and it was Peter that was the main spokesman at Pentecost, Acts chapter 2. When the Spirit was given to the Jews, Peter was there. Peter was now present in Samaria, Acts chapter 8, when the Spirit was given to the Samaritans. Peter is going to be present in Cornelius' house in Acts chapter 10, when the Spirit is given to the Gentiles. Jesus used Peter to open the door to each of these people groups. It is consistent with Scripture all the way through that upon the completing of the supernatural ability of the apostles, we have the Holy Spirit dwelling inside of us as born-again children of God. You don't have to have a second anointing. You don't have to have a second person lay their hands on you. You're not baptized into the Spirit. No, you're baptized in the Spirit when you get saved. Number two, the church was to be built on the foundation of Jesus Christ, which was propagated by the apostles and proclaimed by the prophets. Remember, Philip the Evangelist had been a deacon into the Jerusalem church. He was not one of the twelve apostles. Peter and John needed to be in Samaria for the official start of the Samaritan church, just as they had been in Jerusalem for the start of the Jewish church. And then number three, the presence of Peter and John keeping the early church unified is important because we must remember that there was this great animosity between the Jews and the Samaritans. And if the church in Samaria had begun on its own with no connection to the Jewish church, the church at Jerusalem would have never accepted it. So how do you know that? Did the apostles, watch this, did the apostles recognize uh, Paul when he came to know Jesus Christ first? Nope, they didn't. They said, we were, just, we know, ain't no way, no way. He's killing people. We don't want him. And it took another individual to come alongside and convince those apostles that Paul really was saved. So had it not been for Peter and John there, they would have never accepted this church. So God made sure that Peter and John, the apostles and the Jews from Jerusalem were all present to witness the spirit being given to these these Samaritans. God's message is the church in Samaria was no heretical startup group. It was a true. Church the Samaritans were part of the same church that had been in Jerusalem. It is the same church They were filled with the same spirit and Peter and John were eyewitnesses to this so that they might be able to say Yes, Jesus not only is saving the Hellenistic Jews. He said he is saving the Jews and he's sa- saving the Samaritans And soon he'll be saving the Gentiles To God be the glory And so we find There is a logical sense as to why they waited for Peter and John to be there. For the Spirit of God to fall. We see here a unifying explanation. And then in verse 18. We see the conjunction and. Do you see that? That is connecting us back to what he said in verse number 13. Here we are transitioning again. And he's saying that there is not only some outward evidences. Of a believing counterfeit. But he says there's some inward evidence. Of a believing counterfeit. There's something that took place on the inside. Of Simon. That he really didn't get saved. What were they? Let me show them to you if I could. Number one. The first thing I want you to see here in the text. Is I want you to see his greed for power. Notice what the Bible says in verse 18. The Bible says and. When Simon saw, what did he see? He saw the multitude get saved. He saw them get baptized. He then again surrendered himself saying, I believe and I want to be baptized. And he did so. He saw Peter and John come down and start the the Samaritan church by laying their hands on the Holy Spirit filling them. And then we see, uh, here he sees that. And then what he says is this. He says, through the laying on the hands of the apostles, he witnessed this and the Spirit was given. He reaches in his pocket and he pulls out money and look at what he says. He says, Give me this power also, that anyone on whom I lay my hands may receive the Holy Spirit. Brothers and sisters, here we see the first proof internally why the conversion of Simon was not real, he was an imposter. He may have said he believed with his mouth. He may have even been baptized in water like everybody else. But the Bible says he had this greed inside of him, and the greed that he had was power. He says, Give me this power. I want it. That whoever I lay my hands on, they'll get the Holy Spirit. You say, Why is that a bad thing, Pastor? Because he wouldn't listen, he didn't want to do it to see people come to Jesus. He wanted to do it so he could get some money. So what do you mean? Look at what the Bible says. The Bible says not only did he have this greed for power, but he also had this gratification of self. In verse number 21, uh, he goes on to say in the text, he says, you have neither part nor portion in this matter, is what Peter says to him. Your heart is not right in the sight of God. Repent therefore of this your wickedness and pray God if perhaps that though your heart may be forgiven of you Here we find this gratification of self inside of Simon The Bible tells us very plainly that his heart was not right You see salvation is a heart matter. It takes place inside the heart not in the head Simon's problem was he believed Jesus was who he says he was in the head, but he never believed it in the heart. He was so gratified by his own self and so greedy for power that he said, here, let me pay for this, and I'll double, triple, quadruple my money if I can do this. And then we see a third reason. A third evidence, if you would, as to his counter, him being a counterfeit. We see the gall of bitterness in his life. Let's see what the Bible says in verse number 23. The Bible says in verse number 23, Peter says, For I see that you are poisoned by bitterness. I'm t- Bitterness will poison, poison you, Mark. It'll poison you. It poisoned Simon. You ever wondered why he was bitter? You think about that? Remember, who was top dog before Philip came to Samaria? Simon. If anybody needed anything, they'd go to Simon. And Here's the thing. When Philip came on the scene, Simon got very bitter. Remember what bitterness is? Bitterness is anger turned inward. you ever been so angry that you turned it inside and you didn't say anything? You better be careful with that. It'll poison you. Philip was poisoned by his anger. It turned to bitterness. And because it was bitterness, he came to Jesus Christ with the wrong intent and the wrong motives. I've seen many people come to know Jesus Christ as bitter individuals. And if you come to Jesus, I'm not saying you can't come to Jesus as a bitter person. You can. But when you come to Jesus as a bitter person, you let that bitterness go. He never let the bitterness go. Why? Because he only believed in his head. Here's a question. You want to know if you're really truly born again? You want to know you're truly saved? You really know Jesus Christ as your Savior? What happened to the bitterness after you got saved? Are you still bitter? Listen, that's why I couldn't stay angry at my biological father. I I couldn't stay angry at him. Why? Because I was born again. That bitterness that was inside of me is gone. There's a fourth one. I, I'm out of time. Here's number four. It's an internal evidence. Here's the, here's the, the fourth one. Not only did, was he wrapped up in this gall of bitterness, but in verse 23 we also see he also was shackled to the gallows of sin. Notice what the Bible says in the text. He says in verse 23, not only are you poisoned by your own bitterness, he says you're bound by iniquity. You are chained. You are chained to your greed for power. You are chained to your grat- the gratification of your own self. You are chained to the bitterness that's living inside of you, and it is causing you to sin. So here's Simon's problem, and I close. Simon had the wrong view of self. He had the wrong view of self. It's not about you, it's about others. Number two, he had the wrong view of salvation. It's not about being religious. It's about being forgiven. Number three, he had the wrong view of the Spirit. He thought he could buy it. You can't buy it. It's got to be deposited. And number four, he had the wrong view of sin. He thought he could just get away with living however he wanted to live and not repent. Did you see what happened there in the text, verse number 20? But Peter said unto him, your money's going to perish with you because you thought that the gift of God should perish or or should be purchased with money. He says, you neither have part nor portion in this matter. He says, "You you don't have a part in the Christian community. You don't even have a portion of the Holy Spirit. You have nothing. And this is after everybody's already received it. But I want you to notice what what Peter does. And I close with this. He he tells him in verse 22, here's the remedy. He says, here's what you need to do. He says, repent, therefore, of this, your wickedness. And pray, God, if perhaps the thought of your heart may be forgiven you. He says, Simon, here's what you need to do. He doesn't just leave him out there in the cold. He says, Simon, you, you need to repent. You need to repent. And what does Simon do? Watch this, Jeff. This is so, this is heartbreaking. Simon turns to Peter and says, You pray for me. Now, I'm a preacher. I'll pray for whoever. But I'm going to tell you what. I can't pray that you would repent of your sin. That, you, you, that God help them repent of their sins. I could pray that prayer, but I can't repent for you. And that's what Peter's saying. Peter's, I can't repent for you. you got to repent. And then watch this. Simon in the Scriptures, look at what it says here. He says, then Simon answered in verse 24, Pray to the Lord for me that none of these things which you have spoken may come upon me. (laughs) Peter says, no, you have to repent. And so the next verse, the Bible says in verse 25, So, when they had testified and preached the word of the Lord to who? To the Samaritans, not to Simon. Simon just, he drops off the page of the Bible. The Bible says they returned to Jerusalem, preaching the gospel in many villages of Samaria. You do not see Simon anywhere else in Scripture. He drops off the pages of the Bible. But watch this, Brandon. This is amazing to me. He does not drop out of history. He is still talked about today. He's talked about more in the religion more than anything of Roman Catholicism. It's the term simony. S-I-M-O-N-Y. It's a very fascinating term. It means to purchase religious uh, endeavors or religious favors from God. And it was practiced... Many, many times throughout the course of church history until it was finally said, that's wrong, that's not biblical. But it revolves around a man by the name of Simon who did not truly trust Jesus as Savior. And the reason why he didn't trust Jesus Christ as Savior is because he was a counterfeit believer. My kids love that app. Among us. You may have played it before. And in that app. It's a good thing. To be the imposter. But in real life. If you're an imposter. You go to hell. There are no imposters in heaven. And a lot of times we as believers. Or we as Southern Baptists. We commit simony. How do you commit simony as a Southern Baptist? By walking an aisle and putting your name on a roll, thinking that you're putting your name in heaven. You practice simony by getting in the baptismal pool, thinking that by being in the pool and being baptized, you're having your sins washed away. It's not true. You commit simony by thinking that when we do the Lord's Supper here and you take the the bread and the juice and you you take that and you you think that that's washing your sins away. You're ingesting uh, the body of Jesus and drinking the blood of simony. Only Jesus Christ can save a soul. Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, the life. No man cometh to the Father by me. You can't buy your way into heaven, brother and sister. Listen, friend. Listen, you're listening by way of radio. You're listening by way of internet. You cannot buy your way to heaven. Because the price has already been paid. Jesus paid the price. Let's bow for prayer you may be here today and you may be looking at your life will you look over your life today friend as you look over your life today I want you to ask this question am I a believing imposter can I say over the course of my life there has really been a change in me Can you testify, like the Samaritans did, that when Jesus comes, there is joy in the city? In this case, joy in your life. If you're here today and you'd say, Preacher, I can't testify to that. I'm just as bitter now as I was when I prayed and asked Jesus to save me. Then here's what that tells me, sir. Here's what it tells me, ma'am. You're not truly born again. You're a counterfeit. So what do I need to do, preacher? You need to do what Peter says in the Scriptures. Repent and ask God to change your heart. And from a position of faith, you need to get saved. You need to say something like this to the Lord. You need to say, Lord Jesus, I know that I'm a sinner. I believe that you died on the cross for my sins. And this morning I ask you to save me. Today, I repent of my greed, my selfishness, my bitterness, and my sin. And I turn to you and I trust you as the Messiah. Thank you for forgiving me in Jesus' name. Thanks for listening. As a pastor, my primary concern is your eternity. The Bible says in 1 John 5, verse 13, that you can know where you will spend eternity. I would love to connect with you and talk more about your walk of faith. You can email and find more information about the ministry of Maysville Baptist Church on our website. Just type maysvillebaptist.net in your search engine. Also, you can support this ministry through our website or by mailing your gift to 8875 Highway 82 Spur Road, Maysville, Georgia, 30558. God bless you, and I hope you tune in next week, where once again, we turn our hearts towards the Word of God.